The Children Trap The Biblical Blueprint for Education This is a Reconstructionist radio production. Please visit garynorth.com forward slash freebooks to download this book. Chapter 11 What the Civil Government Can Do Quote I will drive them out before you. I will not drive them out before you in one year, lest the land become desolate, the beast of the field too numerous for you. Little by little I will drive them out before you, until you have increased, you inherit the land. End quote. Exodus chapter 23, verses 29 and 30. God commanded Joshua to lead the Israelites into the promised land. This required them to drive the Canaanites out of the promised land. It was to be a military operation, but not an overnight military operation. I think this is our long-term goal with respect to taxpayer-financed education in the promised land. It is to be conducted peacefully. It is to be conducted as a long-term political operation. It will have to be organised as carefully as a military campaign. How are we going to abolish the public schools? Same way the Israelites conquered the Canaanites, little by little. Public education is inherently humanistic, for it requires all people to finance it, and therefore the courts require that it be structured in terms of the principle of the lowest common religious denominator. It must be built on, quote, common ground, unquote, religious principles. But there are none in principle, and as time unfolds, any seeming common ground in religion and philosophy becomes less and less believable, since each group becomes more consistent with its own religious presuppositions. These presuppositions are in conflict. I imagine every Christian would agree that we need to remove the humanism from the public schools. There is only one way to accomplish this. Abolish the public schools. We need to get the government out of the education business. According to the Bible, education is a parental responsibility. It is not the place of government to be running a school system. We should not waste time trying to improve the public schools merely for the sake of improving them. God didn't tell Joshua to reform the way the Canaanites were living in the land. God wanted no compromise. We should not compromise either. To use a popular modern term, the schools need to be privatised. Maybe this sounds like a pipe dream to you. I would simply point out that the majority of the Israelites oppose going in to possess the land. At an earlier period, when the spies brought back their majority report about the giants who inhabited the land, the people were afraid. They rejected the minority report which urged them to obey God. Numbers 13 to 14. The result was 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. When they finally decided to go in to possess the land, God gave them victory. The intrusion of civil government into education did not take place overnight. I do not think we Christians can close down the government schools overnight either. That must be our goal. We must convince others first. Then we will be in a position to convince others. Christians need to go on the offensive. The United Methodist Church 
considered removing the song Onward Christian Soldiers from their church hymnal in 1986. They thought that the song was too militaristic. That church was captured long ago by theological liberalism. We can understand their dislike of the song, even if we don't agree with their theology. The song points to the victory of Christ's church on the earth. They don't want Christians marching. Sadly, fundamental Christians sing the song but eat, meet and retreat in practice. What is amazing is not that a bunch of liberal Methodists wanted to get rid of it. What is amazing is that pietistic fundamentalists still sing it. It is totally at odds with their view of the impossibility of the earthly progress of the church prior to the second coming of Christ. The song is correct. The pietists are incorrect. It is time that we go forward to possess the land. Pulling out of the slave system. Why do we allow the secular humanists to use our money to indoctrinate our own children, while at the same time these humanists make it more and more difficult for us to operate Christian schools? It doesn't make sense. For too long we have been on the defensive. We have been eating the crumbs from the humanists' table and expressing thanks that we can survive. It is time to get out from under. We could try to take over all the local and state governments along with the federal government. We might just take over one state or one county and then stop funding the public schools. That would be easier to do, but it wouldn't get very far. The whole thing would be declared unconstitutional as long as the remainder of the country was controlled by humanists. Thus, our long-term strategy in almost every political area must be that of full-time salami slicing. Piece by piece, we will cut back on government expenditures. At the same time, piece by piece, we must build up Christian institutional alternatives. You don't beat something with nothing. I am in favour of any and every effort on the part of Christians to influence and control civil government at every level. We need to conform civil government to biblical standards and should offer no apologies for doing so. This is our ultimate goal. As long as education remains under the control of humanists, we have an uphill battle in taking over control of the government. I have campaigned for public office in many a public school, and I can tell you that hostility to biblical ideals is evident. What then can we do? Are there any steps we are able to take that will bear fruit? Yes! The most urgent action we can take is to obey God. We should stop tithing our children to Caesar. We should notify the public schools that, as of today, we are withdrawing our children and that we never ever intend to send them back. Period. No compromises, no qualifications, no deals. They do not get our children back unless they come into our homes and kidnap them. And if they do that, they will face the wrath of Almighty God as well as the wrath of a growing political force in this nation. They may not consciously fear the wrath of God, but they fear the wrath of the mailing list and the satellite television or radio system. Can you imagine the shock to the humanists? Every Christian child in America were withdrawn from the public school system. 
It is unlikely that all the Christians will take this kind of action. Like the Israelites, many have fallen in love with the leeks and onions in Egypt, and too many will continue to come up with the usual lame excuses for sending the kids off to eat the husks of humanism at the government school, instead of feasting with Jesus and his people. It all boils down to the same pocketbook issue, tuition. We agree that government schools would be dealt a devastating blow if all Christians were to remove their children, but we can't get those other Christians to act in concert with us, yet. So, what can those of us do who understand God's requirements in this area? We don't need to wait around for others. We can go right ahead and obey God. Today, we can remove our children from the government school and enrol them in a Christian school. This is the first step. A minority of Christians must continue to show our opponents that we mean business politically. We show them by paying for our own children's education. We put our after-tax, after-tithe money where our mouths are. Our opponents are increasingly vulnerable. The government schools are plagued with problems of their own. In 1986, teachers in Texas were complaining because the state was forcing them to take competency tests. At least 10% were expected to fail, and unless they could pass the test in the future, they would lose their jobs. As it turned out, very few failed. At the same time that Texas, in effect, was admitting that thousands of its government school teachers were incompetent, the state was also trying to take control of the private schools. The Texas Board of Education was being asked to promulgate rules that would severely restrict parents to private schools in their efforts to teach children. A similar power grab was attempted in Virginia in, 19, in 1979 when the State Board of Education voted overwhelmingly to require the Virginia General Assembly to give the State Board the power to identify and approve all non-public schools in Virginia. Board of Education wanted the authority to grant this approval based on rules, regulations and other criteria that it would promulgate from time to time. Talk about a blank cheque. Just sign here on the dotted line, General Assembly. Christians in Virginia pressured the legislature to defeat that power move decisively. The board passed its resolution in June. By December, before the legislature went into session, they had rescinded their own resolution. Christians defeated them by lobbying the legislators by putting the legislators on public record. It was an election year, and thus great timing for us. Petitions were the most effective weapon we used. In the petitions, we attacked the public school system and called in the General Assembly and the Governor to reaffirm Virginia's long tradition of educational freedom. In Texas, a mass rally by Christians was held in the state capitol in 1986, within a few days of the school board's almost invisible public announcement of hearings concerning the board's assertion of control over private schools, an authority never granted by the state legislature. This overnight mobilisation took place in large part due to a series of radio broadcasts by Christians, especially Marlon Maddox's satellite broadcast, Point of View. He had been tipped off about the announcement of public hearings, and he shocked the school board by calling forth thousands of Christians who tried to get in to be heard. Another Texas radio personality 
George Grant, the author of the Biblical Blueprints book on private welfare, In the Shadows of Plenty, immediately produced a follow-up tape-recorded radio message that warned Christians in Texas of this tyrannical move by the State Board of Education. This message was so effective that word of it got to an out-of-state leader of a nationally known Protestant youth ministry that is involved in producing homeschool materials, but also involved in selling out the homeschool movement to state education boards around the nation. He frantically called the directors of Christian radio stations all over Texas, begging them to refuse to broadcast this dangerous, heretical message by Grant. I am happy to say that most of them ignored this leader's fear-driven advice. A few capitulated, however. This leader is terrified of the coming, inescapable, basic conflicts with humanists in the field of Christian education. He is not alone in his fear of the state or his willingness to compromise for the sake of a little more time and some temporary peace. His view of time teaches him that the church will inevitably lose in its attempt to defeat Satan's forces. His theology says that there is no hope until Jesus comes and raptures his people out of trouble just before things get terrible on earth. He has no faith in the church, therefore he recommends capitulation before the state. He is trying to buy time until Jesus comes and physically delivers us from our earthly problems, since we are incapable of solving them through his grace and by his law. Such views have been dominant in American fundamentalism for over a century. Bible-believing American Christians have been on the defensive intellectually for over a century, and especially since the famous Scopes Monkey Trial of 1925. From then until about 1965, they spent most of their intellectual time running from the humanists or granting humanists many of their presuppositions concerning biblical interpretation, especially on the first 11 chapters of Genesis. They gave the humanists a free ride, or, more to the point, they allowed the humanists to kidnap their children, pick their pockets, and send them to the back of the bus. In this case, public school bus. At long last, this is beginning to change. This little book may speed up Christian resistance. Humanists aren't used to being put on the defensive. They have been having their God-hating way for a long time. God's people have been, quote, eating, eating, and retreating, end quote. Our religion has been escapist in nature. We've been satisfied to worship on Sunday, prayer meeting on Wednesday, prayer practice on Thursday, and some personal witnessing at other times. But we haven't challenged the humanists on their own turf. We've been rather quiet. We've been hiding in the woodwork somewhere. Now we're coming out, and that really gets their attention. We had better get out of our corner and join the battle. The Bible says that one shall chase a thousand. Joshua chapter 23 verse 10. The Israelites went in to conquer the land. They drove out the inhabitants. Well, they drove out most of them. In a few cases, they lost heart, which is why there is a book of Judges. The tribes that were left gave them plenty of trouble. Jesus said, On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. End quote. Matthew chapter 16 verse 18. The Greek word translated prevail means that it is the church 
that is on the offensive, and the forces of hell will not be able to hold their ground. Jesus did not say, My church will prevail against the gates of hell. Too many Christians act as though he did. It is not the church that is on the defensive, it is Satan's kingdom of hell. Defensive Political Skirmishes There are several steps that, without qualification, all Christians should take politically with respect to public schools. First, Christians must register to vote. No exceptions, no excuses. Register to vote. Exercise your God-given authority as a judge. Second, always go to the polls to vote in bond elections. Few people do, and these people tend to be those who are going to be subsidised by the money the bond issue raises if it passes. Third, without exception, vote no on the bonds. This is doubly God-fearing. It reduces the growth of government debt, and it hampers the public school system. Fourth, mobilise others to go to the polls to vote against school bond issues. Church members who know what God requires should be warned in advance about the election and then reminded on the day of the vote to get to the polls. Fifth, protest in writing all attempts by the politicians to increase property taxes for the assessed value of property. Vote for politicians who vote for property tax relief. Sixth, attend any meeting of the local zoning commission when a vote to permit the construction of churches or Christian schools is scheduled, make a show of force. Seventh, write your local state representative. Encourage him to help balance the budget. Suggest the possibility that, if it's really an emergency, the state should hike tuition at state colleges and universities. What constitutes an emergency? Any suggestion that taxes need to be hiked or that the state budget deficit needs to be increased by the sale of more bonds. Taking over locally. Christians should run for the school board. This may sound like strange advice. After all, I have said that Christians should have nothing to do with the public school. What I meant was that Christians should not allow their children to have anything to do with public schools. This does not mean that we should have nothing to do with them. As I have already said, we should have lots to do with them during school bond elections. Our goal is not to make the schools better, except as a side effect of making them physically safer, a legitimate function of civil government, and less expensive to the taxpayers. The goal is to hamper them so that they cannot grow, grow in evil, drugs, promiscuity, abortion advice, etc., grow in expense, and if possible, grow in enrolment. Never lose sight of this long-range goal, a goal as God-fearing, uncompromised, quote, tuition money where our mouths are, unquote, Christians, is to shut down the public schools, not in some revolutionary way, but step by step, school by school, district by district, as we offer better quality education to the public. When a majority of the voters have their children out of the public schools, they will stop voting to support the system. They will, quote, vote with their pocketbooks, unquote. They will vote no on all school bond issues. They will, at last, abandon paying taxes to the only established church in America. Termite tactics Run on a platform on increasing school efficiency, 
This means cost-cutting. If elected, you must be an instant nice guy, even if you are normally a, a hard-nosed sort of person. You must be incredibly affable and friendly to other board members. Invite them out for coffee or go to a nice evening somewhere at your expense. You will need good guy votes when you start gently pressing for a strategy of temporary reform. Your personal goal is to convince the middle-of-the-road board members, who always have the majority, that you are not crazy. You are principled, of course, but not crazy. You are not a Bible-toting tyrant. In short, you are not to be perceived as a loaded, loose cannon rattling around the deck. This is fundamental to victory in the meetings. It is basic to your re-election too. This is a long-term political project. Your goal must not be to make a fuss for the sake of making a fuss. A general rule is to avoid at, is to avoid at almost all costs any direct personal confrontation with middle-of-the-road fellow board members. Only if there is some hardline ideological leftist on the board should you get them into struggles. Keep your mouth closed most of the time. Be sweet reason incarnate. When the board proposes something you don't want, try to avoid a head-on collision. Instead, ask questions, raise doubts. You're confused and tentative about the public's potential reaction. Request a study by the school's lawyer. Suggest further study of the results of similar decisions by other school systems. But always do your best to avoid confrontations. Make your opponent on the board appear to be the unreasonable one on any issue. Never be perceived by your colleagues as a grandstander. Let the other guy who voted with you get the credit in the newspaper if it is a popular decision. Whenever you vote against the others, always plead conscience or caution or ignorance, but don't try to impose your conscience on them. That way, you're perceived as just a nice guy with a weird conscience or with a legitimate sense of caution. In short, be as wise as a serpent and as harmless as a dove. You can't destroy the public school system by yourself, so don't try. You can do your best to gum up the system with a smile on your face. Remember, you really are doing the public a service by cutting waste, helping to keep taxes lower. Your goal must be to sink the ship with the step-by-step cooperation of its captain, crew and passengers. You must bore many small holes to do this. These holes must be perceived as beneficial to the ship. If you get thrown overboard early in the cruise, you will not succeed in your assignment. Never lose sight of this goal. Specific recommendations. First, start pushing for larger classes and fewer teachers. Nudge the board in the direction of refusing to rehire as many untenured teachers as possible. As I have pointed out earlier, a higher pupil-to-teacher ratio cannot be shown to affect student performance. There is little or no statistical evidence showing that lowering the student-teacher ratio will increase student performance. The idea that such a relationship exists is called into question by two generations of shrinking classes and falling student test scores. The 8th grade Little Red Schoolhouses of Rural America 
the crowded classes of the New York and Boston public schools turned farm children and non-English speaking immigrant children into the most productive workforce in history. They mastered at least the sixth McGuffey reader. Today's high school graduates haven't been given equal skills. Let me give you an example about student-teacher ratios. Wayne Roy was, for over three decades, a very popular, highly successful social studies teacher in a Southern Californian high school district. One year, he taught the editor of the Biblical Blueprint series. He was a fundamentalist Christian who taught creationism in the classroom, as well as biblical monogamy, and got away with it decade after decade. He drove liberals and humanists to despair. They finally gave up trying to get him fired. He took early retirement in the summer of 1986 in order to devote full-time as a European tour guide for graduating high schoolers and to continue his work as a California real estate developer. He once offered the following deal to the district. Let him teach every senior the required senior problems course. Are the other civics teachers or reassign them to other schools or courses. Hire two part-time instructors to read the true and false portions of the exams. He would read the papers required for A and B students and the essay portions of the exams. Double his salary. Save tens of thousands of dollars every year. The district refused. They could have replaced the other high school civics instructors, paid him and the part-timers and pocketed the difference. I think they feared that he could pull it off, so they did not allow the experiment to go forward. Lesson. You can get more students in those classrooms if the teachers are competent. Why hire incompetent teachers? Second, personally investigate the curriculum. Get a list of every textbook in use. Mel and Norma Gabler in Longview, Texas, to help spot really bad public school textbooks. They are the authors of the book. What are they teaching our children? You need to read this. Order from Educational Research Associates, PO Box 7518, Longview, Texas, 75607. They also publish a six-page rating sheet of some of the most popular public school textbooks over the past decade. The price is $10. We'll also receive their 50-page handbook describing the typical materials they have on hand. Discounts on their books are available to parent groups. Such groups can purchase a box of 48 copies of What Are They Teaching Our Children? for $72. A very good deal. These books can be used in election campaigns for school board. Demand that teachers and principals produce all public documentation handed out during any district finance trips or professional meetings that would lead to changes in the local curriculum. The board needs to be given full written reports from all those who attend taxpayer finance meetings of any kind. See if these people can write a coherent sentence. This may not get the information you need, but if they have to produce detailed reports, they may decide not to go to so many meetings. This helps defend your local school system against national, quote, change agents, unquote. Third, limited Texas. Get the board to pass a local, quote, no pass, no play, unquote, rule for sports. Make it apply to all extracurricular activities. The public's education money should not be spent on circuses that are performed by students who are flunking their courses. It cheats the taxpayers. 
and surely cheats the athletes who are being encouraged by their coaches and cheering fellow students to shortchange their futures for the sake of a letterman's jacket. This is a terrible trade. Fourth, always protest when the high school principal is about to fire a coach just because the coach has produced some losing teams. Defend the coach if he has done a decent job of teaching his physical education classes to the average student. Teaching PE is legally and officially why he is on the school payroll, not to win after-school games. It is wrong to take money from taxpayers for one purpose, teaching PE, when, in fact, the money is being used for another purpose, winning games. The issue is quality education, not winning teams. If the hometown folks want winning teams, use ticket revenues to hire coaches who produce winning teams. Don't use tax money to subsidise them. Besides, there's nothing like a losing sports record to pull the vocal minority of sports fanatic support of the local high school. They want other taxpayers to subsidise their entertainment. Fifth, do whatever you can to keep alive the question of student safety. If there are rumours of drugs on campus, if, then encourage the school board to do everything possible to cooperate with law enforcement officers. This is priority one. First, it is a legitimate task of civil government to enforce safety laws, and drug laws are safety laws. Second, keep a spotlight on the school. Things are bad, but public deserves to know. Christians on the school board should become the defenders of decency, the supporters of student safety. Keep reminding parents how bad things are becoming in the public schools, if things are really getting worse. Never become an accomplice of public school bureaucrats who desperately want to avoid admitting how terrible things have become under their administration. Tell the truth. Accentuate the negative. Maybe some parents will then pull their children out of the system. Sixth, do whatever you can to get the schools to submit to lots of standardised tests. The more, the better. You need statistical proof of the decline of your local schools. There is probably lots of decline. If the results show that your schools are falling below the national average, focus all the public attention you can on the collapsing quality of education in your local schools. Keep reminding parents how bad things are becoming. Maybe they will pull their children out of the system. Seventh, try to get the votes on the board for a total financial audit. If there was an audit recently, then insist on another one by an outside firm. This costs money, but in institutions that cost as much as schools do, the auditors need auditors. It will paralyse the bureaucrats with fear, especially if they are crooked. The school bureaucrats will hate you. Sports fanatics will hate you. So what? Your job is not to get them to like you. Your job is to represent the interests of the students and the taxpayers. You can do both by cutting costs, tightening up on school procedures, and giving raises only to high merit, B and A average teachers. Who are these teachers? Find out. Grading the teachers. Try to get the board to impose a merit pay system on teachers. This will throw panic into the hearts of third-rate teachers. Maybe they will quit. Who knows how well a given teacher teaches? 
the honor roll B's or better students know. The elite scholarship society, A- or better, knows even better. Maybe you can get the board to allow these top student to rate teachers on a form provided by the board. If necessary, get the recently graduated seniors to fill in the forms. Have them rate each teacher on an A through F basis on 1. Lectures 2. The ability to answer questions 3. Fairness in grading 4. The preparation of the student for the college board exams Have the students attach a photocopy of their SAT or ACT scores in the sheet, but not their names. This system works for high school graduates. What about grade school teachers and junior high teachers? Just go to the record books. The computer can do it, or be programmed to do it. See the grade point averages of those students in the next level up. Check out the grades of the first year junior high students to see how well the elementary school teachers are doing. Check out the grades of first year high school students to see how the junior high school teachers are doing. If some teachers consistently produce above average or below average students, take appropriate action. When these teachers are ready for raises, start using student ratings to evaluate who deserves a raise and who should be encouraged to seek employment elsewhere. Anyone who says that students are not competent to rate teachers has forgotten how well he knew when he was a senior. By having the students include a photocopy of their board scores without names, you can find out if the poorer prepared students rate poor teachers well and hard teachers poorly. But I can pretty well assure you that most students going to college will agree on which teachers did their homework. I know of a person who is presently developing the appropriate computer program to rate teachers. Contact him at Rating Teachers, PO Box 8204, Fort Worth, Texas, 76124. You will then push the board to make these, quote, report cards, unquote, available to students, parents, and the press. If the schools were truly free market institutions, parents would be given the right to select the teacher of their children. They would have to pay extra to get popular, competent teachers. This would be a true merit pay system. This is one reason why universities pay higher salaries to famous scholars. Those scholars attract high-quality students to the campus. The reason why high schools and elementary schools do not imitate colleges or profit-seeking businesses is that parents officially have no choice in selecting teachers, and teachers are not paid in terms of parental choices. In short, there is no accountability. Teachers will oppose such a system. They will say, you're making this a popularity contest among the students. It will cause great inflation. But for the last generation, we have had greater great inflation than ever before. This has led to lawsuits against school districts by outraged parents of functionally illiterate students. What Christians and the school board should do is to call for accountability in order to head off these lawsuits. How? by getting rid of the incompetence before they ruin more students and hand out more B's and A's to these ruined students. The public school bureaucrats do not want accountability. These schools were invented in order to create a legalised monopoly that would not permit economic accountability. That is what state-run monopolies are all about. 
Any attempts to impose a system of merit pay, especially paid based on the evaluation of teacher competence by students, and most especially pay based on the published results of student evaluations, will create a revolt among the teachers. It will lead to a confrontation with the teacher union. Here is how to win such a confrontation. Gaining the cooperation of the teachers union. Teachers unions talk professionalism and high quality education, but they will invariably fight any school board that attempts to impose merit pay standards, especially merit based on the opinion of those who are the 12 year victims, the graduates. They will try to create havoc for the board that actively pursues merit pay for good teachers. Here is a surefire way to create havoc right back. You are going to do what school boards never, ever have the guts to do. You are going to find out the true market value of the teachers. Place an inexpensive advertisement in the college newspaper of the largest college or university in your state. If necessary, you pay for it personally. The ad should say, wanted, school teachers, starting salary, $12,000 a year, your unified school district, P.O. Box, the school boards. If you can get the board to go along, be open about the district that is making the offer. If you can't, then have a friend in another school district nearby rent a post office box. Don't mention any district in your ad. Instead, use his post office box number. What you're after initially is a stack of inquiries. Maybe $12,000 is too high a salary level. Maybe it is too low. You can gain access to district records and check out what the average teacher's salary is locally. Make sure that the salary you advertise is at least 10% under the lowest salary that the district is paying to new teachers at the appropriate grade level. You will get a stack of inquiries. The more you advertise, the more you will receive. Then send out applications. You will get back a pile of them. These completed application forms are the key to your strategy. Remember, these applicants are young. They probably have no families or small ones. They're earning practically nothing. Dad is about to cut off their education money. Maybe they own money on a school loan. They need a job. They're mobile. They will work for far lower wages than your local mortgage burden teachers are presently working for. They will probably work far harder for several years than the district's cynical, weary veteran teachers are willing to work. Test the market, then prove your point. Here is your point. Local teachers are way overpaid. Prove it. Take in this stack of completed job applications. The higher the stack, the better. The next time the district's teachers ask the board for a pay raise or threaten a strike if the district imposes teacher rating by students. Folks, you will say, we have applications here for your jobs. There are 5, 10, 20, whatever, applicants for every job in the district. These are all well-qualified teachers. They are all willing to work for at least 10% under the lowest paid teacher presently on the payroll. We suggest that you avoid making unreasonable demands. You will shock them into paralysis. No school board ever does this to the local teacher union, but it is the obvious response. The board is just doing what any house buyer or car buyer does. 
it does a bit of comparative shopping before it signs a contract. If the teachers continue to squawk, don't rehire the untenured ones. Hire replacements from the list of applicants. They will send a terrifying message to tenured teachers and it will get off on the right foot with the newly hired ones. They will know just why they got their jobs. Next year, everyone will get the message. They will know that the board means business. What about the tenured ones? Legally, they cannot be fired, but they can be subtly pressured to quit. Check the existing contracts. There are always loopholes. Do some of them teach summer school? Are these summer teaching jobs guaranteed in the existing contracts? If not, don't hire them next summer. Use untenured teachers to teach summer school. After all, they're paid far less during the year. They need the extra money. Quote, All those in favour of squeezing these bright young teachers, please stand up. Unquote. These untenured teachers will not be in a position next year to make unreasonable demands. Your goal is legally to pressure the tenured, higher paid, C-rated or below faculty members into other lines of work or into other school districts. Make them do every crummy job that the contracts allow the board to get away with. If they teach seniors, shift them to teaching freshmen. If they teach honour students, assign them to teach remedials commonly referred to by teachers as the droolers. Make it clear to them that they will never teach another B or A student and they will never again get a raise. Never say so publicly. Never say so in a letter. Just hold firm to the programme. The programme is 1. Larger classes 2. Lower budgets 3. Untenured teachers 4. Merit pay Remember, the nation is in an educational crisis. We are a, quote, nation at risk, unquote, according to the President's Commission. We hear it all the time, mostly in propaganda handouts by teacher unions seeking more money in smaller classrooms. Quote, something needs to be done, unquote, we are told. So do something. Quote, everyone must make sacrifices, end quote especially tenured teachers who are not rated A or B by graduates. The more untenured, lower paid, recently hired teachers are employed in your schools, the lower their wages need to be. The board can then just uh, hold the line on wages year after year, resisting all wage increases and allow inflation to cut salaries. Then wait for students to tell you who is good. If the union never goes on strike, issue a press release, call a press conference, take your stack of applications to the local television station, inform the media that local teachers are simply being unreasonable in their wage demands, quote, the taxpayers of this city deserve a break, unquote. They do, too. Who knows, maybe the strikers will shut down the whole public school system, maybe they will tie up the district in court. So. You have done your work well. Our ultimate long-term goal is simple. Shut it down. Legally, of course. Get the bureaucrats to fire the first shot. By the way, you can use this same strategy against any bureaucrat. If you want to underbid them, just advertise job openings in professional newspapers or journals that circulate in places like New York City, Detroit or Chicago. 
Don't advertise a salary. Most people live in areas that have a lower cost of living than these places, or at least a better environment. When you get inquiries, send out an application blank with a copy of the real estate section of the local classified ads of the newspaper. Also, send out a Chamber of Commerce flyer on recreation facilities in the area. You will get plenty of applications from discouraged inner city vice principals and principals. You might even get a school superintendent or two. They will work cheaper. Time wasting reform efforts. We possess severely limited resources. We cannot fight every possible battle, let alone win all of them. We dare not act as though we can win them. We must therefore learn to pick and choose our battles. I would strongly recommend not picking the following ones. Prayer in state schools, but not colleges. Forget about this project. It is totally inappropriate, except as a hook to get Christians involved in a dead-end political project, except as a way to teach Christians that the schools are today totally in control by the enemy. It is a waste of time. Also, there is almost no active sacrificial political support for such a project. I agree and I agree entirely with J. Gresham Mason, the leader of the Bible-believing Christians against the modernists from 1923 until his death on New Year's Day in 1937. He spoke to Christian teachers in 1933. He warned them against Bible reading in the public schools. He also warned against public prayer. Quote, For my part, I have no hesitation in saying that I am strongly opposed to it. I think I am just about as opposed to the reading of the Bible in state-controlled schools as any atheist would be. The Bible still may be so read as to obscure and even contradict its true message. When, for example, the great and glorious promises of the Bible to the redeemed children of God are read as though they belonged of right to man as man, have we not an attack upon the very heart and core of the Bible's teaching? What could be more terrible? For example, from the Christian point of view, that the reading of the Lord's Prayer to non-Christian children, as though they could use it without becoming Christians, as though persons who have never been purchased by the blood of Christ could possibly say to God, Our Father which art in heaven. The truth is that a garbled Bible may be a falsified Bible, and when any hope is held out to lost humanity from the so-called ethical portions of the Bible, apart from its great redemptive core, the Bible is represented as saying the direct opposite of what it really says. End quote. Creationism in state schools, but not colleges. The other will-o'-the-wisp these days is getting six-day creationism taught in the science classes. What a preposterous goal. What a dream that absorbs our money and time. The humanists will never allow it. They run the schools, and they will never allow it. Equal time for creationism is against their religion. Canadian professor Michael Ruse has spoken for all evolutionists and they control the curriculum in state school biology courses. Quote, I believe creationism is wrong. Totally, utterly and absolutely wrong. I would go further. There are degrees of being wrong. The creationists are at the bottom of the scale. They pull every trick in the book to justify their position. Stay, indeed, at times, they verge right over into the downright dishonest. 
scientific creationism is not just wrong, it is ludicrously implausible. It is the grotesque parody of human thought, the downright misuse of human intelligence. In short, to the believer, it is an insult to God. Under no circumstances would I let creationist ideas into finance school biology classes or anywhere else where they might be taken by students as possible frameworks of belief. I would not give creationism equal time. I would not give it any time. End quote. The courts constantly uphold their monopoly over curriculum. When we have enough political clout to restructure the courts, we will also have enough clout to abolish tax-supported education. We are wasting our time on such suicidal school reform projects. Better to put our efforts into building Christian schools and electing school boards that will steadily reduce the money going to public education. Summary There must be no compromise with the public schools, my Christian parents. They must not send their children to such schools. First step is to pull your children out of the public schools. All reform programs begin here. Next, we need to cut off the funding for public schools, election by election. Might all increases in property taxes, oh no on every school bond issue. Organise others to do the same. Next, do whatever possible to reduce political pressure against private education. Fight every zoning commission decision against Christian schools. Fight every decision of state or local school authorities to register, test, or in any other way infringe on the authority of parents or private schools. Run for the school board. Impose a programme of cutting expenses. Impose a programme of full accountability of school officials and teachers to the public. Get a merit pay system running. Get a programme of teacher evaluation by students. Represent taxpayers and students. Nobody else does. The Children Trap The Biblical Blueprint for Education Robert L. Thoburn, 1986 Co-published by Dominion Press, Fort Worth, Texas and Thomas Nelson Incorporated, Nashville, Tennessee This audio version of The Children Trap, The Biblical Blueprints for Education, Robert L. Thoburn, has been produced by Reconstructionist Radio and narrated by Nathan Conkey. Please visit garynorth.com forward slash freebooks to download this book. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.